talk lines are open now. Call 888-673-1450. This is the Kate Daly Show. for the radio stations. This song, they did an amazing job. Yep. Madison Rising. Do a lot of patriotic music. Little rocker-ish, but it's great, isn't it? Listen. Are we standing beside her? Are we guiding her? Or are we just following along with whatever the world wants us to do? Honestly, stand for something or you'll fall for anything. And that's really the crossroads that we're at today in America. Do you want to know why I say that? Do you want to know what our news cycle was for this show? Because we had a different show planned. Not this one. We weren't going to do this show. Because I'm actually doing a lot of stuff tomorrow. But let me just tell you. The pro-science mom that made her 12-year-old daughter be a guinea pig for the vaccine and is now in a wheelchair with an oxygen tube. We have the underground cables that are spying on us right now, tracking us and spying on us. Do you know how many underground cables there are doing that? The uh, radical organ. Organ has fallen off a ledge. Organ is just disgusting. I mean, it really is. I mean, it's gotten to a place. I know there's some good people there, but it's just gotten to a place where it's just embarrassing. And, uh, and there's a lot going on in Oregon. Pass a bill to give illegal aliens Medicaid. Just making it legal, right? Hmm. Um, we also have um, a, a great piece on Rumsfeld deliberately causing the deaths of many Americans and profiting off it, but yet people in government today are saluting him and paying tribute to him. You know, this is why we're doing a show about the importance of what a flag means, because our country's being overrun now by other kinds of flags because they want to oust the American flag. It's disgusting, but they want to do it. And they really want to do it for sin, if I'm being honest. You know, it's like, let's let's go fly somebody else's flag, some other country somebody came from to come here, yet fly the flag of my native socialist land or fly the flag for homosexuality. We're seeing a lot of this go on right now, and it's really sad to me. What I don't understand 
is how a person who grew up in this country mm-hmm. can look the other Their way, way. Yep. now at what's going on. I mean, I Rumsfeld. I know. That man would have been nothing in any other country. Yeah. He would have been nothing. Very instrumental in 9-11, if you ask me. I mean, we have all these traitors. And that's what Star Spangled Banner was talking about, the traitors, right? From even within our country. Yet Republicans go, they're part of my tribe. They're part of my tribe. I can't. Oh, I just have to shore them up. Mm. It's ridiculous. We have to go back to the founding of this country, what the flag actually stood for in the very beginning. Because it still represents the same thing it did back then. No matter what they do to this country at the helm, no matter what the screwed up fraudulent Biden administration does, no matter what they try to do, all these activists that are communists, no matter what they try to do to our nation, our nation still stands for something very, very special. And unlike any other, I wouldn't want to live in any other country but this. But that doesn't mean I can stay silent and not fight for what we are supposed to be. This is Paul Harvey, signers of the Declaration. Enjoy. But for any eve of the 4th of July, I, Paul Harvey, do herewith bequeath unto you something to remember. You may not be able to quote one line from the Declaration of Independence at this moment. Henceforth, you'll always be able to quote at least one line. It's in the last paragraph where you will recall when I remind you, it says, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. In the Pennsylvania State House that's now called Independence Hall in Philadelphia, the best men from each of the colonies sat down together. This was a very fortunate hour in our nation's history, one of those rare occasions in the lives of men when we had greatness to spare. These were men of means, well-educated, 24 were lawyers and jurists, Nine were farmers, owners of large plantations. On June 11, a committee sat down to draw up a declaration of independence. We were going to tell the British fatherland, no more rule by redcoats. Below the dam of ruthless foreign rule, the stream of freedom was running shallow and muddy. And we were going to light a fuse to dynamite that dam. This pact, as Burke later put it, was a partnership between the living and the dead and the yet unborn. There was no bigotry, there was no demagoguery in this group. All had shared hardship. Jefferson finished a draft of the document in 17 days. Congress adopted it in July, and so much is familiar history. But now, King George III had denounced all rebels in America as traitors. Punishment for treason was hanging. The names now so familiar to you from the several signatures on that Declaration of Independence, The names were kept secret for six months, for each knew the full meaning of that magnificent last paragraph in which his signature pledged his life, his fortune, and his sacred honor. Fifty-six men placed their names beneath that pledge. Fifty-six men knew when they signed that they were risking everything. They knew if they won this fight, the best they could expect would be years of hardship in a struggling nation. And if they lost, they'd face a hangman's rope. But they signed the pledge. And here is the documented fate of that gallant 56. Carter Braxton of Virginia, wealthy planter, trader, saw his ships swept from the seas to pay his debt 
he lost his home and all of his properties and died in rags. Thomas Lynch Jr., who signed that pledge, was a third-generation rice grower, aristocrat, large plantation owner. After he signed, his health failed, his wife and he set out for France to regain his failing health. Their ship never got to France, was never heard from again. Thomas McKean of Delaware was so harassed by the enemy that he was forced to move his family five times in five months. He served in Congress without pay his family in poverty and in hiding. Vandals looted the properties of Ellery and Clymer and Hall and Gwinnett and Walton and Hayward and Rutledge and Middleton. Thomas Nelson Jr. of Virginia raised two million dollars on his own signature to provision our allies, the French fleet. After the war, he personally paid back the loans, wiped out his entire estate, and he was never reimbursed by his government. In the final battle for Yorktown, he, Nelson, urged General Washington to fire on his, Nelson's own home, which was occupied by Cornwallis. It was destroyed. Thomas Nelson, Jr. had pledged his life, his fortune, and his sacred honor. The Hessians seized the home of Francis Hopkinson of New Jersey. Francis Lewis had his home and everything destroyed, his wife imprisoned. He died within a few months. Richard Stockton, who signed that declaration, was captured, mistreated, his health broken to the extent that he died at 51, his estate was pillaged. Thomas Hayward Jr. was captured when Charleston fell. John Hart was driven from his wife's bedside while she was dying. Their 13 children fled in all directions for their lives. His fields and grist mill were laid waste. For more than a year he lived in forests and caves and returned home after the war to find his wife dead, his children gone, his properties gone. And he died a few weeks later of exhaustion and a broken heart. Lewis Morris saw his land destroyed, his family scattered. Philip Livingston died within a few months from the hardships of the war. John Hancock, history remembers best due to a quirk of fate rather than anything he stood for, that great sweeping signature attesting to his vanity, towers over the others one of the wealthiest men in New England. And yet he stood outside Boston one terrible night of the war. And he said, burn Boston, though it makes John Hancock a beggar, if the public good requires it. So he too lived up to the pledge. Of the 56, few were long to survive. Five were captured by the British and tortured before they died. Twelve had their homes from Rhode Island to Charleston sacked, looted, occupied by the enemy, or burned. Two lost their sons in the army. One had two sons captured. Nine of the 56 died in the war from its hardships or from its more merciful bullet. I don't know what impression you had had of the men who met that summer in Philadelphia. But I think it's important that we remember this about them. They were not poor men. They were not wild-eyed pirates. These were men of means. They were rich men, most of them, and had enjoyed much ease and luxury in their personal living. Not hungry men, certainly not terrorists, not irresponsible malcontents, not fanatical incendiaries. These men were prosperous men, wealthy landowners, 
They were substantially secure in their prosperity. They had everything to lose. But they considered liberty, and this is as much as I shall say of it. They had learned that liberty is so much more important than security. Oh, I love it. That they pledged their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor. Their sacred honor. Paul Harvey, what a great tribute to the signers who are very rarely talked about, by the way. You know, one of my favorite poems, and usually when I'm doing some public speaking, I'll go through this poem. It's one of my all-time favorites. It's by Charles McKay, and it's called No Enemies. You have no enemies, you say? Alas, my friend, the boast is poor. He who has mingled in that fray of duty that the brave endure must have made foes. If you have none, small is the work that you have done. You've hit no traitor on the hip. You've dashed no cup from perjured lip. You've never turned the wrong to right. You've been a coward in this fight. And I truly believe that. What have you done and what are you doing to secure liberty for future generations? What are you doing? Because if you're a cog in the wheel that's doing anything but that, stop what you're doing. Stop what you're doing. That poem by Charles McKay says it all. One of my most favorite poems. Small is the work that you have done if you have no enemies. You're very, very nice, but you're not standing for a thing if you have no enemies. Be right back, Kate Daly Show. Talk lines are open now. 